You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to The Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic, and today we are buzzing into episode 105. Yes. Um, and we've, like, before we get into all the good native plant stuff and, and uh, tell you about how the world is burning with all our, <laughs> <laughs> our articles and how, how terrible things can be, uh, although we do have some enlightening stuff, we would like to do a little bit of follow-up on some feedback we've yes. gotten or some things we've experienced in the last uh, last two weeks since our last Buzz episode. So uh, I guess we should start off. Well, first, Fran, I found this um, invention. Okay. A groundbreaking invention. All right. That what is it? Revolutionize the way you garden. It's a shovel. <laughs> that's, that's really, really corny and joke. Oh, oh, man. That is so. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't prepared. If I was prepared, you would have gotten one of. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 sorry. That was an accident. I didn't mean to do it's, that. It's okay. I didn't mean to do that one. My joke was completely planned. It wasn't an accident at all. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> no, I saw that on Facebook. Uh, not in a gardening-related group at all. It was like a list of groundbreaking inventions, and it was like a hoe, a trowel, a shovel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'll give you credit for good. that. That is pretty uh, good. So we have to. I did. We we didn't hear from Paradox. We haven't 20. heard from Paradox Twenty Seven. Okay. Um, which maybe it's a fake review, like you get on uh, all the Amazon products, all the fake reviews. Maybe it was one of those. Maybe we paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, all right. For the record, we have never no, paid for it. I don't even know how you do that. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure it's possible. I have no clue how to do I it. I think that I've, I've gotten emails, not about for here, but just mm-hmm. in general when I had the music blog. And it's like we can get you 5,000 yeah. likes on each uh, social media and get you reviews. It's just, yeah, that's yeah. all right. I know uh, someone that did it. Yeah. And they said it it worked. I'm not going to say who it was, but they said it worked. But then the problem was they had this social media following, none of which were engaged Mm -hmm. at all. So they have 5,000, 10,000 Twitter followers, and then they post something and no one likes it. And they're like, it was very sad. So they they literally deleted everything and Mm -hmm. started all over. And they, they said it was a much better... Because then Experience. you had the engagement. And, they had an yeah. organic following with mm-hmm. people that were invested in it. So, you know, like I, I guess anything. Here. Yeah. It, yeah. People, you have people who are really invested in some, for some reason, like to listen to us. So, um, but that being said, yeah. we got to pick a new winner okay. because we said it was episode 105. We, we we're going to give them up to that point. Uh, some, some point between when they left the review and episode 100, they decided they didn't want to <laughs> listen anymore. <laughs> but it wasn't but, that long. It was only like. Like a couple weeks prior to that, it wasn't oh, yeah. like a super yeah. old review. Now, did you pick someone already? I didn't because I I was going to let you pick. Okay. Um. Uh. I. Why don't we do that at the end of the episode? All right. So we have some time to actually pick. All right. Awesome. That way, uh, that's a little teaser too. Yeah. You have oh, to yeah. listen till the very end and, instead uh, of a secret. How about that? Yeah, that's, that's a good idea. Secret. Since I don't think either of us <laughs> no. with a secret either, because <laughs> I don't have one. Anyway, the other thing I want to talk about is for the second. Uh, week in a row, we're gonna have some more follow up on uh, the no mo months. Yes, and um, 
it's been really interesting seeing what's been coming out over the last like well i guess april and now uh into into may because you have like both sides are coming out pretty strongly where yeah. you have the people who are very for um not mowing for the month of april or month of yeah. may and you have people who are incredibly against it and uh and it's not all people saying uh i love my lawn no one's going to take this away from me there's also like horticulturalists and and um and entomologists that are saying hey it's yeah i the sentiment is good but the the outcome isn't nearly as beneficial as what some people are thinking they're doing and that and that's what i've been saying the last uh, two buzzes that makes sense to me it's yeah. uh, it was leaving a couple non-native some maybe even invasive flowers in my yard for a month really going to help that much mm-hmm. um, but to some people it really it it is a major um, benefit to them. And when we talked to Kyle Leiberger, he, yeah. he had cool stuff. He had blue-eyed grass coming up in yeah. his lawn. Well, let me, I don't get that stuff. Let me ask you this. How often do you cut your grass through the season? It's probably – so I go every week, but I mow at like four, four and a half inches. Yeah. Oh, sometimes even five. Yeah. I keep it really long, and that was because I went to a, a, a meeting that was at the University of Maryland Turfgrass Research Center, and that's what they said for um, – for having a healthier lawn and is just mow if you mow it over four inches your weed pressure goes way down yeah and your grass is a lot healthier um well, and then your soil temperature is cooler too because you have more shade on well, the soil i had mentioned at one point that i worked for true green yeah like way over like it was probably like 25 years ago and that was one of the things they recommended to all their clients was if you mow it at least five inches mm-hmm. it's going to cut down on the amount of treatments that you're yeah. doing because the weed pressure isn't going to be as as great like you mm-hmm. don't want and and they were pretty vocal even at that point about for a company that that sells chemical treatments yeah about not edging mm-hmm. because you don't want to expose soil because that's where you're going to get the most weed pressure like they actually gave good advice if you chose to follow it as to how to cut back on the amount of weeds in your in yeah your and um and what i found through april and now going into may and may is a little different but through april is the the um, the henbit and purple dead nettle and even some of the dandelions that pop up? They were shorter than I was mowing, so I wasn't I wasn't taking them out anyway when I'd mow at that higher height. Um, but that's what? but when I mow at that higher height, I found I had to do it more frequently, or I'd get a lot of. We actually last last year we started with every other week, mm-hmm. um, so it's it's every other week, and we mow high, so. When you hit that second week, like it, it needs to be, it needs to be mowed. Um, but it's, I'll tell you what, I don't see a difference in the health or the quality of the. Tra- Actually, I think personally, the the lawn looks better. It looks healthier, mm-hmm. in in my opinion, um, by doing less. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've found too. Is I don't have to. I well, I don't fertilize it or water it anyway, but. When my neighbor's lawn, who they're cutting it like a golf course, yeah. and they're mowing it like two and a half, maybe maybe three inches at at most, but they're keeping it really short. Their lawns are all brown during the summer. Mine's green the entire time. I already it's, have a, a a neighbor watering. Yeah. Oh yeah. For it's, for the last like every day yeah. by hand with with a hose, which just blows my mind. Yeah. And they're oh. also the one that sprays for mosquitoes as well. Mm-hmm. So, but no, it's it's been interesting just seeing like I'm I'm have friends that live in upstate New York, and they're 
they're even commenting on stuff for like the Albany Times Union newspaper, and because the, they had something about Nomo May. Okay, and uh, they were saying how, um, like, but I read the comments on that post of talk about Nomo May and how it might be better for you for the the pollinators and. People are like, oh, now the government's going to come after our law, not let us do stuff to our lawns, too? And it, it just turned very political in a lot of the comments, and people just are were very upset. Um, and I would gather that most of them probably didn't read the article. They just read the oh, yeah, I, or they read other comments yeah. about the article yeah. and just chimed in. Yeah. So just because you were allowed to, to do something that, was proven to harm the environment like with chemicals it doesn't mean that you should continue continue to get to do it if science yeah. can show that it's not a good thing oh i saw this is on a um a habitat management facebook page not a native habitat management just a habitat management facebook page and there someone wrote is like no one get all preachy with me and tell me how i shouldn't be planting this but i want to plant giant miscanthus which is an invasive species yeah. And uh, and I'm I'm doing it no matter what. So someone tell me how to do it the right way, and don't tell me I should be planting something native instead. That was like their post was, don't attack yeah. me for pl- I'm planting it whether you attack me or not. So you might as well just not even bother attacking me. But uh, yeah, you, yeah. that's like saying crazy. Listen, place. I'm gonna kill someone. <laughs> I just yeah. want to know the best way to do it. Don't stop me. I don't, don't understand preach. that mindset. It's like I know I'm I'm I know I'm doing something bad yeah. for the environment in that case yeah. but I, mean, I know i'm doing something bad i'm gonna do it anyway because i don't care is yeah i i just can't then why are you even a part of the group because yeah. it's about a group that cares that's trying to do the right thing so why well even... that one isn't as much that one's more about attracting animals okay. and, oh and gotcha it's All more right. of a hunting focused right. one where the other one is more about yeah. creating native habitats okay. um but uh yeah it's just i i don't that doesn't i can never feel that way there's, I don't think, I'm sure at some point in my life there's been like, I'm going to do this bad thing anyway, even though I know it's bad. Just, But I can't think of an instance where I've done that, where I've said, oh, so screw it, I'm doing it anyway, I don't care how it affects other people. Like, I, I can't really think of an, I'm sure there's an instance, yeah. I'm, I'm not thinking of it yeah. now though. So yeah, if you know of an instance that Fran or I have done something <laughs> like that, you can write in or leave I'm going to think, maybe no, for the next buzz. I'll see yeah, if I can um, think of something where I was like, I know this is bad, but I'm doing it anyway. Yeah, yeah. it just, yeah. Uh, I think we talked about with the Pinelands Nursery before and how we have our, our core values and like integrity is one of them. And that's kind of like a lack of integrity saying, oh, I don't care that it's bad. I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but... Uh, going back to the, the no mo stuff, and then you've had, like I said, you had some people coming out on the um, the uh, opposing side to it. Like um, there's a an, not an essay, but like a little blurb written. I think it was by Heather Holm, and I can't remember the other co-author. But they were basically saying, "Hey, like the sentiment is great, but here's why it might not be the best yeah. thing. You should really should plant native plants. Yeah. That's really what it'll boil down to." But uh, so you have a conflicting arguments, and then. My point of view is I, I just hate to see people get really excited about no Mome and think, hey, I'm really helping, and then it's like. But you know you know why I'm okay with no, – and it has nothing to do with pollinators. I'm okay with no Mome if you prevent 
all that exhaust mm-hmm. and all those emissions. That's a good point. And yeah. the and the oil and gas spillage. If you prevent that for a month, you take a month of it away. Mm-hmm. Everyone were to do that, you're making a difference in another way. Maybe That's it doesn't true. help yeah. pollinators, but environmentally, you're still making a difference. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm taking any time. Like I said, we went to every other week. Like to me, we're only cutting half the amount that we would in a year. So all those emissions, all those gas spillages, oil, like all that. You cut it in half yeah. for you. So if everyone could do that, huge, yeah. huge difference. Yep. Huge difference. So I just I, don't want to see spite mowing. <laughs> no, I, oh, they said I was helping and they lied to I, me. <laughs> I'm going I'm to go mow all this and then I'm going to go back to my honeybees. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I did have a uh, listener follow up about, I think it was your article from two buzzes ago, the one where they were the myths where they were saying like don't leave the leaves remember the mm, that one yeah so yeah. deborah rosenthal uh wanted to touch base she's a little behind on the podcast just listen to that mm-hmm. one and said in defense of that article i'll say i had a significant mortality on landscape plugs i planted before the leaves fell and where i left the leaves mm-hmm. i believe uh i had a little bit of mortality under their place as well so it may have just been super sensitive uh, but just throwing it out there is a real possibility, um, and I'm sure it depends. And she said, the good news is it motivated me to replace them with uh, some plants I didn't know about, so I got to learn about new plants. Yeah. Oh, so, I can totally believe that when you have, a, a like, a fresh planting and, yeah. and with the right kind of trees. I think, like, um, oak leaves tend to not break down yeah. nearly as fast. Yeah. So, yeah, that's going to smother smother things. Yeah. Um, so I can completely understand that. I, I can but, understand that too. I like with everything else. I'm sure there are. There's no there, one single prescription that's going to work for no. everything, and that's it's it's a lot of the the social media stuff that really catches on is like single phrases, and then it's like, oh, this is no mow may, great example. But don't mow in May, and you're helping, but it's it's going to help in some places, but it's not going to help in others. But but it's like it's, mulch. Like yeah. there was a huge campaign oh, yeah. about no volcano mulching. Mm-hmm. Like you don't want to smother a, a tree or a plant with mulch. So why would you do it with leaves? Yeah, you know oh, it's yeah. it's the same thing. Yeah. Like you have to do it responsibly. Mm-hmm. You can let them fall, but you still may have to do a little maneuvering yeah. to make sure that things aren't smothered or they're getting mm-hmm. daylight when when necessary. That type of yeah. thing. So you know, because yeah. in nature, not every not every seed that falls germinates. Not every mm-hmm. plant that germinates lives. So it's yeah. wow. That was a real bummer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but all right, well, let's get into our our typical segments. We're going to start off with the one we always start off with, except for like an episode or two. Yeah, and that is that's hot. That's hot. All right. You want to go first? Uh, yes, I can okay. go first. And okay. this is a plant I know we have chosen before. I think I've done it. Um, I did it last year. And I, I think. think I did too. And uh, But I don't know why I chose it. <laughs> I can't <laughs> remember. There was a reason I was like, I, I'm going to choose this anyway. But that is uh, Golden Alexander's, which is Zizia aria. And I think when I've talked about it before, it's been – it was later in the year, and it was when I found out that it's a, a host plant for some of the swallowtail butterflies. Yeah. And um, – and, I was having a lot of uh, black swallowtail caterpillars eating my parsley, eating my fennel, and I picked them all off, and then all like 10 of them at a time, and then I moved them over to Golden Alexander that we had outside of uh, the office here, and they were really happy, and then we got all these these butterflies out of it. Awesome. And uh, and over at our other farm, we had an even bigger patch of Golden Alexanders, and there was they were on there naturally. There, yeah. No one even moved them there. So 
that was cool to see. But right now is when our golden alexanders are blooming. It's not the most beautiful flower. If you know what that like dill flower or or parsley flower looks like, it kind of looks like that. It's yeah. yellow, probably a little bigger than than those we get. But uh, but you're you're limited on something like where we're at. Like I know like there's a lot of like uh, woodland ephemerals, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and and this definitely fills in. But there's not as much flowering early on. Yeah, it's like flowering that. now, which yeah. uh, around here is is still early for yeah. like penstemon isn't blooming here yet. Uh, Baptisia isn't blooming here yet. I think I've seen some pictures of people in New Jersey where it's starting yeah. to bloom, but we don't have it blooming at our place yet. Um, there's not a lot of uh, stuff that's actually blooming right now. Yeah. Uh, that's one that is. It's yeah. uh, it's earlier than, than most of the other stuff that we've seen popping up, at least from a, an herbaceous plant perspective. So um, I had a little blurb here from Jersey Friendly Arts, but I didn't read any of it. Because <laughs> <laughs> we've talked about this one yeah. before, but... It's got really good wildlife value, um, and it grows. We found it, we can grow it in open fields. We have it in a, a little landscape bed right next to the office. Uh, what Jersey Friendly Yards had written was, um, plant this easy-to-grow flower in your native garden along woodland edges and meadows or wild areas in your yard, um, places with natural light. Uh, if you don't have natural light, Coors Light, Bud Light, Miller Light will do. <laughs> uh, so- <laughs> Uh, all right. So I, my, that's a great choice. Great yeah. choice. I, I love that we keep yeah. using it because it, it stands out for us at this time. It's of a, year. And it's a newer plant for, for me. Um, I guess we only started growing a couple of years ago, Yeah, but, uh, no, I've, I've really, like I said, it's not the most beautiful flower I've ever seen or most beautiful plant. It stays green a lot of the year, but it's striking but and it's, it fills in very well. Yeah. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's a great choice. Yeah. So speaking of that, I got to see that, um, last weekend. Last last two weekends ago, um, I had the opportunity to go to uh, Bowman's Hill Wildflower Preserve for an event uh, for work, and it gave me a great excuse because I had to go, you know. And I uh, got to see Santino and so many uh, great people, uh, but it was really in its full glory. And speaking of like not seeing as much for us where we're at in a coastal plain mm-hmm. uh, environment, there was so much happening at Bowman's Hill uh, at this time, and I'm glad I got to be there at that yeah. time uh but one of the things that really stood out to me were large swaths of celandine poppy or woods poppy mm. which is a uh, styloforum diphyllum not to be confused with the introduced invasive lesser celandine um but it gets one to two foot tall it has a one to two inch yellow f- uh to orange flower um and it was mixed in with virginia bluebell at the preserve, there was a glade. Oh, yeah, Speaking yeah. Of, we just learned what glades mm-hmm. is, and it was this huge field. And, and there were so much trilliums and toad shade and marsh marigold and, and so many wonderful things mm-hmm. that we don't see in our woods here uh, that I got to experiment, uh, experience. So it grows in part shade to full shade in acidic, well-drained soils. It needs moisture and heat, and uh, chipmunks are big fans of, of woods poppy. So – um, it's a fantastic plant, and it's a great place. And, and we know we've had Bowman's Hill on, and we talk at the, mm-hmm. talk about them um, quite often. Quite often, but if you get a chance, if you're in that that uh, Bucks County area, make sure you yeah. you go by because it's something you don't get to see. Like yeah. you get this like like groupings of umbrella mag, umbrella magnolia and so many other things, mm-hmm. and the topography is just very striking. So there's so many. And the naturalist we had, man, what an incredible – I'm trying to remember his name, Rob um, – I think it's Rob Woods. Mm-hmm. It was something – because it was something very similar to being that. Yeah. But he was 
I, I, I kept my mouth shut because I learned so much. Yeah. Like, and I don't yeah. I don't shut up too often. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was learning a lot, and I was like, for a volunteer, this person, yeah. you know, no, knows a, what they're talking about. It's a cool place to just visit, and if you just – if you want to walk on your own, like you'll you'll see a lot and you'll be able to botanize a lot. And it, even if you just want to take a walk, it's a, a cool place to take a walk. Um, but then they have a lot of events too. They have the yeah. I, I know I'm I'm hoping to go tomorrow, okay. um, which hint friend is actually Saturday. Okay. Uh, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> when the, I'm like, when what? You're, you're, we're going on Friday tomorrow. <laughs> it's uh, um, on Saturday the 14th. They have like a, a kids play outdoors thing. Oh, awesome. And I'm hoping to bring my son to that. Uh, that would be weird if I just went without my son, wouldn't it? Yeah, but that would be no, a little, hoping to bring be a little awkward. We, see, <laughs> we have a, a busy weekend, so I'm hoping I can fit it in, but if I can't, then I, I won't be there. But if you if you're, if you listen to this, maybe you'll see me there. Maybe I, you won't. And there's <laughs> so many great things you can do. The Bowman's Tower is there. Oh, yeah. You're right by Washington's Crossing. Mm-hmm. There, there's so many yeah, fantastic. Yeah, New Hope there New Hope with right all there. the restaurants and everything. So Lambertville, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot to do. Yeah, have so. you been to Liberty Pizza? Oh, uh, no, you've and told Liberty, me about it. you got to go to Liberty yet. Pizza. Okay, we oh. won't talk about pizza, though. <laughs> um, all right, so you ready for this or that? Uh, yeah, let's move on. All right. So we do have a winner the, in the last buzz, episode 103. I had the article about uh, keeping Earth Day going after Earth Day by mm-hmm. planting native plants, and Tom had his uh, nature-based climate solutions, and we have a winner, and the winner is... Tom wins eleven to six. You're back on your win streak. Yeah, I was now, a one the, and done. It might have been a little bit of a gamesmanship by me because I think I posted this on like Monday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we had a what was it a retirement party? Yeah, the previous Friday when at the episode released, and so I was I was the the cook for for the retirement party. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, just never got around to posting it. And I got never the flew on Saturday. <laughs> and then yeah, I remember every, Russ Bernard's like, "Hey, where's the vote?" And it it was really crazy. I'm like, oh yeah, we I gotta we do that. we had the retirement party, and then the flu went through. We had multiple yeah. people out of the office, um, like in some form or another, with it. And then I was off for a couple of days, so mm-hmm. I didn't even repost it for more. Yeah, I just realized yeah. today. I was like, oh, I never gave it a little poke to uh, give people one last chance to vote. Right. So, but you get to pick. If you want to um, go first, I'll, I'll go first. Since you okay. like going first, I'm going <laughs> to make you throw me, off, throw me off my and, uh And I found an article. It's actually um, Debbie Deklava from uh, from um, Monarch, uh, Monarch Flyway, oh, and, sustainable. and I think Sustainable Monarch, Monarch as well. But yeah. Monarch Flyway had shared this on LinkedIn, and it was a, a article from uh, the Daily Yonder dot com. Okay, this is a, a outlet I'd never heard of before, but it was uh, it's basically a a. a I don't want to say a blog, but like a web-based newspaper for uh, rural areas. Yeah. So a lot of farming type stuff or, or living off the land type stuff. Um, but they had an article by uh, Christian Hernandez uh, that was titled, Will Piecemeal Approach to Monarch Butterfly Preservation Save the Species? Um, so state governments and private businesses are collaborating to protect habitat to keep the monarch off the endangered species list. Conservationists say a more comprehensive approach will be necessary to save the butterfly whose population has dropped nearly 90% in the last 20 years. So I'm going to read a little bit, but I want to give awesome. some input on that little secondary tagline there. And uh, and people are going to hear, oh, why would they want to keep it off the endangered species list? And uh, if it's an endangered species, why wouldn't you want it on the endangered species list? And it really, I was surprised by that too. And then it was talking to Marcus Gray. And he's like, oh, once it's on the endangered species list, there's so much less you can do to help it um just like some of the more common techniques like uh like to 
replant a prairie is a lot more difficult if there's monarchs there because you can't remove what was there that like say there was a couple milkweed plants i can't get rid of those couple milkweed plants that where the monarchs eggs are because even though i'm going to be planting all this stuff that the monarchs are really love because there's monarchs there and i would be destroying the habitat habitat that's there the the eggs that are there so it was uh it just makes a lot of this stuff a lot harder so that's why they're trying to keep them off and that's the the goal of the endangered species list is to get them eventually get them off the endangered species list because they won't be endangered anymore. So if we can keep them off, that's probably better than putting them on. Uh, but I'll read a little bit and then awesome. um, give a little bit more of my ideas at the end. Awesome. So each spring, millions of monarch butterflies leave their overwintering sites in the Sierra Madre Mountains of central Mexico and begin their annual migration north across the United States. The exodus and return of the iconic orange and black butterfly is one of the grandest spectacles of the natural world. But that site is becoming increasingly rare as the monarch's population has shrunk by nearly 90% in the past two decades, according to federal scientists. The monarch faces many threats, including the loss of milkweed and other flowering plants across its range, degradation and loss of overwintering groves in both coastal California and Mexico, and the widespread use of herbicides and pesticides. Many of these stressors are worsened by climate change, according to the advocates. In the past two years, some transportation departments, local governments, and energy companies across 23 states have committed to preserving monarch habitat in hopes of protecting the species and preventing it from being added to the federal endangered species list. Nearly three dozen organizations have agreed to preserve some uh, 815,000 acres of monarch habitat along energy and highway corridors since the initiative launched. The unusual conservation effort sprang from a 2020 agreement between the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the Energy Energy Resources Center at the University of Illinois, Chicago, which led a group of experts in developing a butterfly butterfly protection plan. Under the so-called Monarch Cadenet Conservation Agreement and with assurances, or CCAA, public and private landowners uh, voluntarily commit to certain conservation actions, including pest and vegetation management to protect the monarch and its habitat. The agreement also requires companies to reduce or remove threats related to the butterfly survival. In return, the feds guarantee that uh, the landowners will not be required to implement additional conservation measures, even if the species is listed. Uh, Quote, the the effort is unprecedented in terms of its cross-sector participation and geographic extent, said Iris Caldwell, program manager of sustainable landscapes for the, uh, the Energy Resources Center. This is not only the first CCAA for the monarch butterfly, this is the first nationwide CCAA for any species. The group's goal is to conserve 2.3 million acres across the continental United States. But some conservationists are wary of the agreement. Uh, Jeffrey Glassberg, president and founder of the North American Butterfly Association, an advocacy group, said while conservation agreements can be effective tools for advancing environmental goals, the most important way to save these butterflies is through large-scale and intensive efforts to recreate prairies in the northern, uh, northern places that will support their populations. Uh, the main factors affecting monarch populations appear to be the degradation of their overwintering sites in Mexico, climate change, and the continued and increased use of neonicotinoids. Uh, Glassberg wrote in an email, this project will not help any of those problems. In 2014, conservationists petitioned the Fish and Wildlife Service to place the butterfly on the endangered species list. In December 2020, the agency ruled that the monarchs uh, deserve federal protections, but that it must first prioritize other species pending on that list. Uh, the petition alone sparked major interest, major interest in conservation across the country, in part because of listing monarch would bring regulations on agriculture and other activities. Uh, natural resource departments in Arkansas, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Missouri, Nebraska, New Jersey, North Dakota, Texas, and Wisconsin have adopted monarch preservation plans in the past six years, according to state line research. Most of these plans uh, expand or establish efforts to increase pollinator uh, plant habitats in state parks, state natural areas, and wildlife management areas. 
this is a lot longer than I remember. <laughs> so, um, I think are about 60% done. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting close. <laughs> so roadside habitats alone are not the answer to saving the monarchs in uh, Mariana Trevino Wright. Head of the National Butterfly Center in South Texas is forcing the butterflies to run a gauntlet. Trevino Wright said, "Why would you want to create a habitat next to a highway with speeding cars?" This was something I saw found interesting, yeah. having driven across Texas in October when the monarchs were kind of migrating back. Um, but a 2020 study by Texas A&M, sponsored by the Texas Department of Transportation, found that two to four percent of the total migrating monarch population headed south towards Mexico die on Texas roads. Um, wow. And that was something I remember. Like I said, I was driving across, and that was a lower. I think we didn't hit, like, the peak of the migration. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember, and I think I brought it up on the podcast before, I remember seeing all these monarch butterflies just, like, flying across the road, like, right at windshield level. Mm-hmm. And I know we a couple definitely got hit in our grill because yeah. how are you going to avoid a butterfly on a highway? Yeah. Um, that's kind of like just flittering across while you're going 70 miles an hour. But um, but there is a – we definitely missed way more than we hit. But it's, you couldn't, like, help – Especially with monarchs, it's like, oh, this is kind of terrible in a way. But, um, yeah, so that was something I was like, I, I wondered when that happened. I'm like, I wonder how many monarchs die just from trying to cross the road. Yeah. And um, and just this is one highway of however many, a hundred that are across the the their route. Um, but uh, 2 to 4% is lower, I guess, than it's, – it's a high number, That's, but it's – I'm sure if lower you were, than I thought. I, so it's weird. <laughs> it's, I, yeah, I like. I wonder how they if they're counting dead monarchs on the on highways, mm-hmm. not accounting for what sticks to cars. Yeah. Maybe I don't. Yeah. I don't know. But um, and the research has also found a minor mortality rate increase for caterpillars that ingested zinc. For for most of the part, uh, monarchs seemed unharmed by heavy metal, salt, and other chemicals found at high levels by roadsides. Um, so Caldwell of the Energy Resource Center said roadsides are an important part of federal agreements, conservation efforts, uh, but officials are also trying to incorporate other rights of ways that could provide less risky habitats. Using GIS mapping tools, the, the group identified some 21 million acres of electric transmission and pipeline corridors that could serve as butterfly travel corridors, she said. Northern Natural, uh, Natural Gas owns a 14,500-mile pipeline that stretches from Texas to Minnesota in the middle of the eastern monarch, mig- uh, monarch migratory path. The company is committed to conserve some 112,000 acres of monarch habitat along the, the pipeline. According to the spokesman, uh, Mike Loeffler, he said the company was very interested in part of being in being part of the CCAA because the listing of the monarch as an endangered species could really affect operations. Uh, while at least 45 entities expressed interest in the CCAA agreement in 2020, only 33 have applied to join. As of March 25th, uh, 19 applications have been approved with 14 pending, according to Caldwell. Caldwell said several organizations have chosen not to enroll or delay enrollment in part because of the Fish and Wildlife Service's decision not to immediately protect the species. I think they perceive the Fish and Wildlife Service's decision as giving them some additional time, and it kind of took the pressure off to some extent for them to feel like they need to do enroll right away. Uh, but, in its, but it's in this interim before the listing is finalized that we really have the opportunity to demonstrate the value of voluntary conservation that's happening, she added, and hopefully help inform or maybe avoid that listing. So... A lot to process there because um, it kind of ties into some of our our no-mo discussion, too, where you have this, why not put pollinator habitat right along our roadways? We have this area that we maintain, and that could be really beneficial. And I I agree. I think it is really beneficial, and I think we need to do more of that. 
But when you look at the grand scheme of things, it's still a small drop in in the bucket of what we need to do. Um, like the guy from the uh, was North American Butterfly Association yeah. said, we need to really have like huge prairies. We need to build in in Minnesota where a lot of these butterflies are going, and we need to really conserve and and try and like rebuild the forests that they're going back to in in Mexico. Yeah. Um, it's a if lot you of- don't have those areas, it doesn't matter what's going on in the middle. Yeah. But but to have a pipeline that's how I forget how many miles long it said, but that's it's going protected. from yeah. Texas all the way up to Minnesota. That's a pathway that yeah. really there's there's not a lot of interference that those butterflies, if they follow that pathway, would have to uh, encounter. But at the same time, they don't have a map, so they don't know. Oh, oh don't this know. is okay. Let's hit the road, make good time. We're on our way. It's no, but I'm sure if they're in, in need of food, they're gonna find. Yeah, yeah. they're gonna find where it exists and and that path. Well, some of them. Will. Yeah, some. Um, maybe not all. But uh, yeah, it's a. Uh, but then you think about that pipeline. Well, okay, they have this pipeline, but it's what, fifty feet wide, a hundred feet wide. So you have miles and miles yeah. and miles long. But it's it's really, if you were to look at it on a a map, it's. Like a map of the U.S., you wouldn't even be able. It would be just a faint little line that goes right down the middle. Yeah. So it's um yeah we need to do more, and I think this this kind of stuff is really important in keeping the monarch butterfly, uh, off that list, the endangered species list. I think should be a goal. Yeah. Um, because it allows us to be more aggressive with our uh like restoration efforts in a way. I would I would imagine if it's it's a federally listed invasive or endangered species, you aren't you aren't gonna be allowed to bring them in and and rear them and save them anymore. Yeah. I think that's kind of goes out the but, window at that But point. I'm also sure for companies like a pipeline, mm-hmm. like say you have a it's if it becomes an endangered species and you have uh, monarch habitat over a pipeline and you need to dig it up because you have an issue, you have a problem. Yeah. You know, so I'm sure there's oh, companies yeah. for yeah. other reasons that would prefer them not to be endangered. You, I know one of the things that was with farms. Okay, you're farm, farmers now, or they're yeah. destroying a lot of milkweed plants. That was a lot of the point of your, your Roundup Ready crops was yeah. to eliminate weed competition, one of those weeds being common milkweed. And, uh, well, if they're in endangered species now you you can't do that anymore which is yeah. in a it's way okay. is probably a good yeah. thing yeah but um at the same time has some negative consequences as well totally but uh yeah there's a lot lot to decipher there because it's yeah there's a lot to take in yeah a lot to swallow but, uh, but it's it's good to see that there's people who are are making it their mission to tackle a lot of this stuff. And it's not an easy decision. Oh, it's no, like no. getting everyone on board and everyone yeah. realizing, hey, we need to do something, but what's the yeah. best way to approach there was, this? Um, I'm thinking back. I went. I was talking with when we had Kyle Leiberger on about the Eastern Native Grass Symposium. And there was a guy at the one I went to back in, I think it was 2018, who um, I was sitting next to who worked for one of these energy companies. And they they were working on... You remember the silt socks that we used to oh, sell? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so silt socks were basically a a plastic netting that you'd fill with uh, mulch Compo- or compost. compost or stuff like that. And on job sites, instead of using a silt fence, which is going to stop the water and let the sediment drop out, this would be something you could roll out, stake down. The water would hit it. The water would filter through. The sediment would drop out so you aren't losing the 
the silt and sediment yeah. from the site. You don't have there. You have the erosion, but it's contained to the job. And site. there's less failure. There's yeah. not going back to remove. When you're done, you can literally cut the netting mm-hmm. open. And, and it is well, like a photodegradable netting, yeah, so yeah. it would break down. But and then you have the compost there on the on the so, side. So and the big advantage of was you didn't have this big plastic netting and sticks you had to wrap up at the end. You like Fran was saying, you literally could just go with a razor knife and just cut the top, pull up the plastic, the mulch would fall on the ground, the compost would fall on the ground, and slowly deteriorate back yeah. in the soil. Um, well, the one guy I was talking to was saying there, what they wanted to do was actually. Um, inject those, not inject, but instead of just being compost or mulch or whatever, it would actually have seed in there too, like uh, pollinator meadow seed. Yeah. So when they were doing that, now they're dropping all this. Because he's like, yeah. a lot of times we just throw grass seed out there because it's the easiest thing to put down. But Well, we did know, like, I, I guess the double-edged sewage, when, when we carried this going back 10 mm-hmm. years ago, you could get it impregnated with seed. But eventually it would germinate. Like before we even sold yeah. it, it was yep. germinating and it was more of turf. Mm-hmm. But they'd put anything you wanted in there. Yeah. Like if you yeah. wanted to supply them with, with a wildflower seed, mm-hmm. they would. It's just timing. Yeah. Like it's one of those things where it, has, seed, a sh- it yeah. has a definitive shelf life at yes. that point. It's not yeah. something that's going to last forever. But that was one of the things he – so – and that was – there was no reason for them to want to do that. There didn't wasn't a, um, a direct financial motivator. But – it was something where I'm sure there was some financial motivation because they could say, hey, look what we're doing to give back. And maybe there's grants they could get and that kind of thing. But it wasn't like, oh, we're doing this to make us more money. It was, hey, this is a way we can give back. We know yeah. we're we're causing them some environmental disruption. This is a way we can kind of limit that that disruption of the pipeline where it actually stands. Yeah. We're doing something to give back in that way. So it's – um. Yeah, so it was just awesome. an interesting article. It was a good article. I, I love that Debbie piece. shared it. Yeah, it makes you think. So very good. If you're interested in dig dig more into very good think piece. Yeah. I agree. So my article, I, I kind of chose this because of a conversation we had had on a previous buzz. So uh, my article is called uh, "New California Bill Could Require Blue Carbon to Offset Coastal Development." And this is by Deborah Sullivan Brennan, and it was on Fizz.org. Um, it's uh, it's probably about a little shorter than your article, so I'm just going to go ahead and read it. Um, public development. That's what, that's what gave yeah. me the permission to go as yeah. long as I did. Because I'm like, I see Friends as long. Like, yeah, it's like a page and a half on yeah. here, two pages. I can go that long. Uh, public developments on the California coast would be required to capture carbon in wetlands or other natural systems under an assembly bill that calls for projects to add blue carbon measures to their mitigation plans. Blue carbon refers to co- coastal habitats such as wetlands, marshes, kelp forests and eelgrass beds that capture and store carbon in soil, plant matter, and the sea and the seafloor. AB 2593, authored by Assemblymember Berner Horvath, D. Ensen, uh, Democrat from Encinitas, would require projects on public lands to compensate for greenhouse gas emissions by building or contributing to blue carbon projects. It's a way to develop our coastline while protecting some of California's remaining unique important areas, Berner Horvath said. Instead of damaging them, we can double down and reinforce the things that are really valuable, seagrass, flora, and fauna. If the bill passes, it would add blue carbon mitigation to the suite of factors that the California Coastal Commission considers when it approves coastal permits. Under California law, any any project that affects coastal resources must take measures to avoid or minimize its negative impact. If it can't avoid that entirely, developers must offset the effects of the project with the mitigation measures that replace or restore resources it will damage. 
For projects uh, that affect tidal or ocean habitat, that may include planting new eelgrass beds or restoring marshland. For instance, efforts to widen Interstate 5 along the San Diego coast have been accompanied by improvements to San Alijo Lagoon and other wetlands it crosses. Now such mitigation plans focus on improving habitat for native plants and wildlife along with building amenities such as trails and bike lanes. Under Berner Horvath's spill, blue carbon would become another factor for Coastal Commission. Uh, the Coastal Commission would evaluate. Her bill would add the carbon sequestration impact to the consideration of what mitigation we would require, said Coastal Commissioner uh, Legislative Director Sarah Christie, who noted that the commission has not yet taken a position on the bill. New rules would apply to any projects on public land, which might include marine projects such as offshore wind, offshore oil and glass gas platform decommissioning, underwater pipelines, cables, marinas, ports, and docks. Christie said, uh, dredging ag- aquaculture operations and coastal bridge and road work could also fall under these provisions. Officials with the San Diego Association of Governments, a regional planning agency, declined to comment, saying they were not familiar enough with the bill to say how it might affect ongoing transportation plans or other public work projects. Berner Horvath and Christie said there isn't an estimate on how many projects the bill could affect or what the cost would be. Berner Horvath said that the bill was inspired by the coastal geography of her district as well as recent uh, revelations about the role coastal habitat plays in the planet's carbon balance. I've always been interested in blue carbon, she said. I think it's the function of the district, which has so many lagoons. Berner Horvath said she learned about carbon sequestration. She realized the opportunities in her own backyard. I learned that salt marshes sequester more carbon than trees, she said. I'm an environmentalist, I'm a mother, and I want to make sure there's a healthy planet for my kids. Tidal marshes, such as those found along the lagoons on San Diego's county coast, sequester carbon in deep layers of soil. These ecosystems capture carbon at a rate of two to four times greater than tropical forests, according to the Blue Carbon Initiative, a coalition of international scientific and educational organizations. Seagrasses are submerged, deep-rooted meadows found on shorelines, which store twice as much carbon as terrestrial forests. Kelp forests have been recently uh, identified as blue carbon sinks that rival other coastal flora in their ability to catch and hold carbon in their fronds. A 2020 study in Nature Scientific Reports found that kelp beds around Australia account for more than 30% of the total blue carbon stored and sequestered around the Australian continent, and about 3% of the total global blue carbon. Blue carbon habitats are also some of the most biologically productive places on Earth, brimming with fish, shorebirds, crustaceans, and insects. And they can counter the effects of climate change by buffering storm surges and reducing flooding. Berner Horvath introduced a bill in February, and on April 5th, it passed the Assembly Natural Resources Committee on a 7-3 vote. It's a pretty uh, common-sense measure that has uh, strong bipartisan support, she said. AB 2593 will continue through Assembly committees before going to the full Assembly and then state for a vote. Berner Horvath said she hopes to see it signed into a law by government, uh, Governor Gavin Newsom later this year and take effect January 1st of 2023. So I, I think – you know, we talked about on the last buzz, or I, I'm trying to remember, it, it was on one of the recent episodes, just how important marshes are as, as mm-hmm. coastline protection. That's our natural protection. Not even going into deep as blue carbon or carbon uh, sequestration and how important they are. So I, I think for us, I think we take for granted here in New Jersey all the mitigation that's done anytime mm-hmm. something like that yeah. happens. It's nice to see that this is being in, uh, put into consideration in other parts of the country. I think this is really important, and, and we talk about just how important these – especially climate change, uh, that these areas are very – like way back, probably like a, like 
80 episodes ago, we had the one where they were able to find out how it was capturing plastic marshes. Right? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. And you could take a uh, a drill sample and see how bad, mm-hmm. how much plastic it's sequestered yep. over the last decade or two yep. decades and when it got worse. So I, I'm we, we, we know how important coastline marshes are. It's just nice to see that this is continuing. And, and people getting involved. I know – a bunch of our listeners a while ago sent us letters about a, a lake in Florida where the – what was it? The residents were suing? Yeah, to, yeah. I, I'm trying um, to remember. Oh, yeah. What, what exactly were they doing? And it was the I, first of, first of a kind where the residents were su- suing to save save the lake. Yeah. Like I th- were they suing on behalf of the lake? On behalf like of the lake, yeah. So, you know, that's important. Government stepping in. It's important, especially in these things, when you have offshore drilling, when you have offshore wind, all these things that are factors that you don't necessarily think about. You can't just let it run wild and destroy these things. That it, nature is resilient, but it's it's we know the value of marshes and what they do and why we need them. You can't allow them to be taken away without some kind of measure. So that's, oh, it's a, that's a lake good. in Florida suing to protect itself. Lake oh, Mary it. Jane in Central Florida should be harmed by uh, could be harmed by development of first of its kind lawsuit. Asks where the nature should have legal rights, and uh, yeah, I well, don't know why neither of us had chosen that article, but it's <laughs> well, a fantastic. It's, I think it's because we had some I, so many we people sent it to so us. Many yeah, places, so that's why we didn't choose it. But um, no, yeah, you know what really stuck out to me there is it seems like we don't have a really um i don't want to say accurate that's not the right word but there's a lot of trouble discerning what type of ecosystem actually captures the most carbon yeah (laughs) because we've had countless people that i've heard or even said on our podcast that trees capture the most carbon but i've heard from reputable people that i tend to believe that it's other habitats and Mm -hmm. i just did a quick google search and says top five most efficient ecosystem for carbon storage and number one is tundra um, which makes a lot of sense because yeah. yeah. it's it's a large area that, yeah. and now it's actually losing its holding capacity. Um, seagrass, mangrove forest, salt marshes, tropical forest. So it's and you talked I, about mangrove forest yeah. uh, in a previous one, and, yeah. we, and they're talking about kelp. But I've heard like because salt marshes are accumulating. I've heard prairies are really good at, at carbon sequestration, but uh, I think they're I think all important. They're all yeah. important, yeah. But you, there's no. Uh, it's a very divisive topic, apparently, where people can't decide but, what actually uh, captures the most carbon. But I like that. Here, here's the difference: we're not saying trees are better than prairies, so plant trees and no prairies. They're saying mm-hmm. this is very important in sequestration. We need to protect it, yes, so that it yeah, doesn't go that's away. What's good because that's what's happened in the past: is yeah. people have said, "Oh no, this is what's important." So plant trees instead of prairies because yeah. trees are better than prairies. They're not and, saying uh, this is. They're just saying it's very good at it yeah. and that we need to protect it. The same way we need to protect our forests, the same way we need to protect our prairies. They're all very good at it, and it's it's necessary in that region. And if you tried to put a, a salt marsh in where there should be a prairie, it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. And, or if, even when well, you try and put trees where they're supposed to be prairie, it doesn't work well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, it's it's important. It's, it's always great to see legislation happening at this level. I know um, this is actually something I wanted to talk about at another time, but maybe we can talk about it now briefly, Okay, is legislation. I think this was actually a future topic I was thinking of that I didn't, that we're going to have to write down, Yeah, but how 
legislation has like created so much divide on uh, on how people feel about nature. Um, oh, I remember it was it was part of my book review. Okay. But uh, basically, right. like you talk about um, like all the wetland legislation, and now if if anyone who works in construction hates wetlands, hates them, like yeah. they're they're like oh those darn wetlands because it gets in the because of the legislation gets in the way of their progress. There was no education saying this is why the wetlands are important and we need to save them. It was just it's a wetland you can't touch it, yeah. and it just it builds up animosity in a way if you can have animosity to a thing. But, um, yeah, so people just, like, they don't like wetlands because, uh, heck, there's friends of mine that they don't like salt marsh because, yeah. because oh, I they had an issue where they, they developed on salt marsh and no one said, they, they just slapped them with a fine and said, oh, you developed on salt, salt marsh. And now they're like, oh, screw the salt marsh. Yeah. Like, there's no, like, this is why it was important and you shouldn't do it. It's just, you know, and it's a matter of perspective. What, you know, if you're in construction and you don't like salt marsh, why? Because you couldn't, you had troubles building your hotel. Yeah. Do we, do we yeah. really need another hotel? Is that more important yeah. than the, the this ecosystem? Yeah. yeah. You know, is your house on a marsh more mm-hmm. important than the marsh? Probably not. To you yeah. it is, you know, but. And it's, it's one of those things. To them it is, but it's because they don't understand how important the marsh is yeah. yet. And, and that's, you don't get the, the, the education you just get the punishment. Yes. It's it's yeah. like when you're teaching a kid not to do something, which I'm getting a lot of experience with now. You're teaching <laughs> them not to do something wrong. You don't, you have to explain to them why it's wrong and why they shouldn't do it. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, we don't just pee in the corner, like, because it's going to screw up the wood and yeah. it's going to yeah. make other people, like, <laughs> laugh at you. That's why you don't do it. It's. You got to you got to educate the people why what they're doing is wrong in addition to in a, in a gentle yeah. way not just say oh punished and I, and I don't want to sound preachy on this either because it's real easy to say don't do any of these things do these cuz these are the right things yep. it's we always say it's a series of choices yeah. like humanity is going to progress and grow and to to many people, these things are more important than other yeah. things. I I hope, and I understand that. I I hope over yeah. time, as education occurs, that people mm-hmm. realize maybe some of the choices that they were making there could have been better choices. And we even discussed it earlier how we both have a hard time putting ourselves in the shoes of someone who would willingly make a choice that yeah. that they knowingly know or they knowingly make a choice that's bad for the environment. Yeah, um, we both like struggle to envision that like, i really can't envision a situation where i'm like we got to do this without incredible remorse there's mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm thinking about it more there's like okay if i'm gonna use uh, use glyphosate yeah okay i know there's repercussions for that yeah. but i'm i maybe i'm rationalizing it but it's i'm well i used it yesterday to spray a bunch of privet and multiflora rose and and i'm sure i drifted in and uh and honeysuckle i'm sure it drifted and hit other things too i know it did there's no way to, to even though I, it was low winds there's no way i didn't miss things and maybe i hit the cherry tree behind it maybe i hit um there's some an artificialosa also growing the hedgerow maybe i hit that too I, like i'm sure that happened as well but was what i was doing more beneficial than the the destruction yeah. i caused? like it was a I had to weigh that moral balance, but there's yeah we I don't know well, I, I I I I sprayed 
glyphosate last week on, on some stone, you mm-hmm. know, that weeds were coming up that yep. I knew because there was no landscape fabric underneath that if I pulled the weeds, I'd get dirt all mm-hmm. over the stone. So, you know, it was just a couple spots that I sprayed. But yeah, I, I guess that's a perfect example. I know it's not right to use. Yep. But I used it in moderation, like extreme moderation. Mm-hmm. I, I took all the precautions and, and sprayed a handful of weeds. So yeah. well, I don't know. Two great articles this week. Yep. Um, and, and we'll have it up on the, the Facebook. Yeah. Uh, in, Facebook. A, in a timely fashion. Yeah. I'm going to set a reminder for myself to get it up shortly after we, we, and, we publish the article. <laughs> and as always, you get to vote because. And of course, the choice is yours. All right. I'm excited for listener shout outs this week. Yeah. Cool. Listener, listener, shout out, shout out. So I'll I'll go first. I mentioned I was at Bowman's Hill Wildflower Preserve mm-hmm. uh, two weekends ago, and I met uh, Laura Bush, who is one of our listeners, not former First Lady Laura Burr Bush, but that of course that, huh? of course that joke yeah. was made a million yeah. times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, we uh, Santino had uh, given us both a lift on the the golf cart to our naturalist tour and we got to chat on the tour. So it was nice just to get to chat with mm-hmm. one of our listeners oh, yeah. and say, it was very nice meeting you. And I also wanted to, you know, I, I will say my other one is one of our, it's a listener and a customer, uh, Janet, I'm going to butcher her last name, Apadesano. And she, right. she called last week when we were uh, understaffed due mm-hmm. to the flu. And I probably wasn't the most pleasant <laughs> that I could have been on the phone. I, I wasn't rude, but we were just crazed. And I, I think Janet was excited that I answered the phone and got to say hello and that she was a fan of the podcast. So it like that kind of put me in check, like, all right, take a breath. <laughs> like yeah, we'll yeah. so I apologize if it wasn't the best interaction. Uh but I, I think I made up for it. I think. I hope I did. Yeah. Maybe not. I think I did. It's not. it's pretty funny when People are like, oh, my God, it's so cool talking to you on the phone. I listen to your podcast all the time. Like, it's so interesting to hear your voice in another way. Because I've done the exact same thing when I've talked to people yeah. on podcasts I listen to. So it's like I I can uh, – uh, why am I yeah. – why is my brain not working? I can't think of words. I, I was just trying but to – But I take, can put myself – I can put myself in those shoes. Yeah, and, I was just trying to take another phone call yeah. to – like because there was so much happening and we were understaffed by more than half. So mm-hmm. it was like we were just trying to – get through the course of the day. So I apologize. And I've talked to Janet since then. So I know I've, I've made it up. Yep. So. Oh, that's good. That's <laughs> awesome. Good. Yeah. Awesome. And who do you, who do you Yeah. Have? So I had, uh, I think I actually picked this person last time too, but it was Kevin Moriarty. Cause he's the one who keeps posting a lot of this. No, most stuff in he's there. He's po- posting some great and, articles. Um, and it's they're really, really like good articles that kind of explain how it's not a, a one size fits all thing that when you, when you read the, the, Albany Times Union, and you read a lot of these, like NJ.com, and they're posting about They make it sound like it's a one-size-fits-all thing. And like I said, there's Kyle Weiberger has blue-eyed grass coming up in his lawn. I I got nothing. I'm going to yeah. actually – I want to yeah. take a video. I have, I have a little orchard area mm-hmm. that um that I just – I'm like, I'm like I'm not going to mow it. I'm just – I probably won't mow it all year. And I just want to see what happens. And uh, unless there's, like, an issue with the fruit trees, yeah, I'm not going to mow it. And, um, yeah, I want to see what pops up because right now it was uh, uh, the buttercups, which there's some native buttercups and a lot of non-native buttercups, I guess, but I don't know which ones these are. Uh, there was uh, purple dead nettle. Um, oh, what's that? Uh, there's that white, short, 
five-lobed flower that looks like it's um, almost looks like a grass until it blooms. Oh, I know what you're and, talking uh, about. I can't think I of. I can't remember what the name of it yeah. is. That's popping up. Um, and when you go through there, there is a ton more insect activity. I'm not saying that there's not going to be any. Yeah. It's a, uh, but I see a lot more on the native plants that I have planted and, and coming up that are when, especially when they're blooming. Yeah. So, um, and then my other one was Kelly Gill, because she wrote in about this, too. Kelly Gill, who we love so much, who has been on the podcast the most out of anyone other than yeah. Fran and myself. Yeah. Um, she oh, wrote Rick, in about Rick it, Rick McCoy. He's been on Rick three McCoy times. Been on, yeah. How many times has Kelly been on? She's been on... Once, twice? At least three. Three, three times, yeah. Okay. She's been on three times. Plus, um, she hosted... She co-hosted a Native Planet. Yeah, okay. That's, that, maybe that's yeah. why I'm I'm thinking of that, too. But, because um, she wrote in about it, too, and... Uh, and was saying how, yeah, there's, of course there's better options, but this is a good, hopefully works as a good gateway. And we had some good discussion and, um, and not arguments, but we didn't always agree on the same thing. Yeah. But that's what makes conversation great is you don't always have to agree. Yeah. But it's making yourself smarter based on conversation. Yeah. So, um, but no, we love working with Kelly and we have some big things planned with her as we well. Do. We're excited. Uh, not podcast related, but just work related that we always love working with her and we love working with cast now too. Yeah. So it's been awesome. All right. I see that I, there are no complaints or no questions, but I see you have a grow. I do. Yeah. And I actually, it was a quick audio book I put in. Oh, play the jingle Frank. Okay. Grow book. I like books. All right. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's the best one you've ever made. Did you make that? I made something? that. Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I made that. It makes all the other ones sound like less than. It, that yes, was just so I, good. I agree. Like, that was my, my favorite. I yeah. was very happy with that. Um, and, and thanks to the, the Lewis family yes, for helping yeah. us with that. But, uh, yeah, I just I was like, you know what? I've read parts of, of Walden, but I've never actually uh, read all of Walden I, by I, Thoreau. I've read it. I actually own oh, a copy. Good. Yeah. 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 I, I remember, I think I read the Beanfield like for a college class. And then, uh, yeah, so I was just like, hey, it's on Libby. I'm going to listen to it. I read it in high school. I actually picked up a copy from a, I think it was a library sale in high school and kind of held on to it back before I even knew that I was going to have this mm-hmm. as a path, which yeah, is interesting. There's there's so many of the, the like just quotes that people hear on an, an like not every day, but especially when you're in uh, an ecological field, you hear a lot of the quotes so much. And uh, no, it's just a, it gives you a lot of perspective. I'm about like 85% of the way through. I'm okay. not quite done, yeah. but I'm like, ah, it is a let quick me talk read, about it yeah. now. It is but a quick read though. Really, really quick. And it's basically the premise is uh, Henry David Thoreau goes and lives in a, a house. He like a little shack he builds in the woods. This is back in like the 1850s, I think. And um, on, was it on Ralph Waldo Emerson's property? Uh, on Walden Pond yeah. near Concord, Massachusetts, and just lives off the land and uh, and has his little farm and and kind of recaps what that experience was like yeah. and what he learned uh, about himself, about living in nature, about nature and and all that. And it's uh, it's just really enlightening. There's just so yeah, many. Totally. It's a really good self exploration and yeah. reconnection. There's um, so there's and he ha- just has such a way with words where it's really precise and descriptive but not wordy i guess is the way to put it. it's not yeah. like it's every word has it's not, a purpose it's not flowery yeah it's, it, it's very intentful yeah exactly um and uh the the 
quote that really stuck out to me the most. There's so many big ones, but this was one I like. I paused and I really thought about it for a while. Was uh, really the end of this this quote, but uh, it was by avarice and selfishness and a groveling habit from which none of us is free of regarding the soil as property or the means of acquiring property. Chiefly, the landscape is deformed. Husbandry is degraded with us. The farmer and the farmer leads uh, the meanest of lives. He knows nature, but is a robber. Yeah. And I'm like, man, that's yeah. I, I, I'm doing this on our nursery and I'm uh, riding in our golf cart up and looking at all the other farm fields around and just saying it's we've the the greater population really if used nature as a robber. That's something that's taking away from us. Yeah. Um, we had a discussion just with an employee here that we have tasked with mowing a little area where we have like a, a, a seed orchard and, um, and saying, yeah, you don't have to mow right up to the bases of the trees. Cause by leaving that little bit, there's some, there's some good stuff that comes up and it's there's good habitat purpose, for yeah. birds and, and rabbits and all that. But in their mind, it's like, Oh, I need to get the tree is the important thing. Nothing else is important. Yeah. We, I need to get rid of everything else. Yeah. And, um, and it's, yeah, it's just like, it's just this mindset that I, I'm encumbered by it at times. I know my parents are. I know, uh, I'm sure my grandparents were. I know other people uh, all around us are just encumbered by this mindset that there's nature and then there's us and we're kind of battling each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and as evidenced in this book, that's not really the case. And we've mm-hmm. learned a lot since then that it definitely shouldn't be the case. And uh, and kind of immersing yourself in nature is not only very healthy, but uh, for your your body, but also for your your mind. And um, no, it's just like I said, I'm I'm looking forward to. I know the last uh, passage in there is is one of the most um, uh, revered. So I'm looking forward to listening to that as well. But, Did you read Into the Wild or see uh, Into the Wild? Yes. At, I get a, a very similar feeling without it being written written as poetically. Yeah. Um, you know, just that self-exploration, uh, you know, even into the wild, like realizing, hey, I don't want to do this alone. Mm-hmm. I want to experience this with someone else. I don't want it to be solitary, even though you had to go through the solitary process to get yeah. there and appreciate it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I kind of feel it's a very similar – it's something I think everyone should do, not, not go build yeah. a shack in the middle of nowhere and, and live – some kind of connection that mm-hmm. way, like even if it's camping and and learning to care for the land in that way, yeah. where you're a part of it and not owning it, yeah, um, you're interacting with it. Yeah, uh, I, I it really like the, the the all about the the bean field and um and his stories in regards to that and uh the one the one part in particular I remember really sticking out to me as well was how he was saying how I guess in the first year he made. X amount of dollars yeah. by selling some of the, the, of the crops that he raised. And, um, and then the next year he grew less and he just tried to grow enough for him to eat. And he actually made more money because he still sold his surplus, but he didn't try and have a surplus. So he didn't have nearly as much inputs yeah. and it made meant that he didn't spend as much money to, to do it. It was just, uh, it was just really fascinating, just yeah. that whole mindset. Now, looking back on this with through today's lens, and and I, I can't remember where I heard it, but they're basically saying, "Oh yeah, he he had like his mom's wealth to fall back on, so he was it was a, poor, a place of privilege that he was able yeah. to do this, yeah. and uh, and didn't have to worry about like actually 
trying survival. to survive. Yeah. It, it's like, oh, I could quit at any time and I can go live the high life again. Um, but no, it's just a uh, privilege has a great safety net. And a lot yeah. of these stories all have oh, that, yeah. that connection, you know, and it's even if you look at Aldo Leopold, you know, with mm-hmm. his shack and and yeah. and all those it's it. But it was a choice that didn't have to be made. And mm-hmm. it's easier to move forward in a different direction, yeah. at least having had that experience. Yeah. So I don't want to take that away from them because they were had the, the privilege of doing that. Mm-hmm. It's it's all important regardless. Yeah. Yep. You know, and I'm sure if you don't have the privilege and that's what you're you're doing to survive, you may already have that appreciation. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Some of the like just the musings on like uh, especially ro- uh, revolving around farmers. I, I sympathize and well, I'm a part of agriculture. So I always think about it. that tends to be one of my first thoughts when these kind of things arise. But um, and he's talking about uh, I lost that thought, but basically how. The, the one example used was that a farmer was growing all these crops to that you could use to make flour, selling them to buy flour. And it's like you could have just made the flour yeah. <laughs> instead of yeah. instead of having like a three-way barter to get the flour that you wanted. You could just made it out of what you had. And uh, talking about how people would do all this work to get like, sh- like a sugar, whether it's molasses or like you just – you can make eat just as good a molasses out of like pumpkins and yeah. beets and and or maple syrup is a great way to get some sweetness. And yeah. I, all I got to do is tap a couple trees, and I have all this sugar to to sweeten things, and it's right in my backyard. I don't have to go and make money to go and buy sugar. I can just harvest it. Now there's work that's involved in that, but but and and once you're doing the work, you're really discovering what you need. Yeah. Not what you want, but what you need. Mm-hmm. Like and a lot of these things go away. If you're doing this, do you even really need money? You know, oh, if you're yeah. if you're yeah. providing enough like you can barter, like if you can barter and, and have mm-hmm. enough to survive, then all those other worries yeah. kinda go away. Now and I don't think it it it's not something that would work for everyone. And there's yeah. an, another meme that was going around on, on Facebook recently that was saying like it was a sign on someone's door and it's like, Oh, what if everyone just grew a garden and and shared what they or for themselves and then shared their excess with yeah. everyone else and I was like that works yeah. but what eventually will happen is you say oh Fran grows really good tomatoes I grow really good watermelons Fran why don't you grow all the tomatoes I'm not going to grow tomatoes anymore I'm going to specialize in watermelons and we'll trade yeah. and then uh and that works well you're getting into a more capitalist environment yeah. again and everyone's going to have their little niche which is kind of what happened yeah. um but then what happens when someone doesn't have a good year? The weevils get in or, yeah. or they you, – You got your watermelons crop and, and my, my tomatoes failed. Well, I'm just Does Fran still get anything? No, or, probably not. Or – yeah, so – and then eventually people see Fran not getting anything and then – so it's, it's a good passage, but it doesn't all work that way. Exactly. But exactly. we don't want to get awesome. too – No, no. <laughs> We're no. not going to get into world world no. economics here. But, but that's a great grow, read a book. And that's, yeah. that's one of the basics. That's one of the ones that you should fall back on when we talk about yeah. books you should read if you're interested in native plants. That's a great place to start. Yeah, and so it's I something think that I, was like a great I said, I'd, I'd read passages of it before and, and just said, you know what? It's on Libby. I'm, I'm out here toiling away, so – I started reading put it in. Darwin, actually. Oh, yeah? And because um, that's actually free through Amazon. Like you okay, can download yeah. that for free. And it's just I just don't have the time. I, mm-hmm. I thought that would be a great grow read a book, and I just haven't. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm one of these throw days. that on and start listening to that one because there's there's not enough uh, nature choices on on Libby. I'm yeah. finding there's a lot there's a lot of really good books I like read. I was in a book called The Gunkle, which uh, my wife my wife told me about. And it's, if you're looking for like a really good like just fun feel good story that has some powerful like um, sad moments in it, yeah. that's a, a really or just a it's uh, like it's a good warm and fuzzy kind of book, and it's not too like sappy yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was called the Gun. I can't remember the author, but I listened to that one. And uh, I, I mean, I've cool. re- read Darwin, but it was so long ago, and I probably didn't comprehend it the way I, I need mm-hmm. to. And I really wanted to revisit it. And it's always nice when it's a free uh, book. Kindle has a lot, you know. It's yep. not always per- uh, pertinent, but all right. What do you yeah. think? You want to do topic? I like what you wrote down. I, yeah, just I figure this is something quick. It's something we can instead of going uh, topic list from time to time, we can add this in. And it's uh, what's going on in our gardens. And uh, awesome. we're we're both. I don't want to say uh, we're definitely not expert native plant gardeners. We know a little bit. We're probably closer to amateur than than yeah. expert, but we're on our way, just like many of yeah. you are. So I figured let's update awesome. people on what we have going on and what's blooming, what we're really excited about, what's new. Awesome. So, so I, you okay if I go first? Yeah, go ahead. So uh, fall of 2020, there we have gardens around our deck. In, in our backyard that we took out. They were all non-natives, and we naturalized them. And last year was the first year, but in fall of 2021 was the first time we used leaves as a, to overwinter the garden. So we had some some natives that didn't bloom the first year. Our, mm-hmm. our uh, uh, dense blazing star didn't bloom. Our coneflower didn't bloom. Our culver's root didn't bloom. So I was happy that we had a hundred percent survival rate mm-hmm. in the winter this year, and those three in particular are, have a nice big root system and are like mm-hmm. we're excited that this year we're going to get blooms from those three. Yeah. But uh, along with the cardinal flower that we have and um, some of the like our coral bells that we planted this mm-hmm. year, they kind of like suffered a little bit last year Mm -hmm. this year they're huge and we have volunteers coming in too they're multiplying throughout the garden so our foam flower kind of struggling a little bit but it's just exciting to see now that they've established a root system where we're going a lot of the shrubs that the deer keep naturally pruning Mm -hmm. (laughs) for us the root systems are there like the the elderberries really like suckering and becoming a much wider plant like Mm -hmm. so it's Last year was fun, but this year it's exciting. Yeah, so it's yep. it's nice to see those things, and we're we're talking about how we want to expand. We it's it's probably going to be a little bit because we're doing our wedding in our backyard this year. Mm-hmm. So maybe in the fall we're going to try to expand a little bit. But yeah. that's what's kind of going on for us. It's exciting. Yeah. So last fall I did a big um big clean out. I so five years ago I just said you know what I want to go full meadow in my front garden, not the whole front yard, but yeah. uh like just in the front garden. And um, and while it was definitely beneficial to insects and birds and all kinds of stuff, and it, I th- and it looked really cool to to like my eye for probably a month or two. Uh, it just didn't have. It wasn't well rounded. It okay. wasn't. It definitely wasn't a three season garden, or gotcha. even let alone a four season garden. It was more like a one season garden. Basically, looked good from June to like August and okay. then then that was it. Okay. <laughs> and gotcha. So uh I went through and just said, you know what, I'm pulling a lot of the stuff out because 
the Heliopsis is just, it's, a, I can leave a couple, but it's just too big. The Echinacea is yeah. too big. The Menard is too big. And, um, and it's just getting too tall, even if I'm trimming it back. Yeah. And then it's getting all flop, flopping over. It's just, it looks messy. Yeah. And um, said, you know what I'm going to try and do is is loosen up some of my protocols where I want to really keep stuff as native as possible, which I already wasn't doing because yeah. of echinacea. Now I'm thinking about yeah. it, but um, so I uh, went and got a bunch of uh, TRL, the the foam yeah. flower, got um, heuchera, and uh, and got some pacara, uh, the pacara aria, the golden ragwort, and that's blooming right now. The TRL is blooming right now, and. Um, with the goal being to kind of have that green yeah. mulch layer, have some echinacea and some heliopsis, some monarda and uh, liatris and that kind of poking up through, but have like a green mulch layer right on the, the ground. Yeah. And uh, the packer is thriving. It looks awesome. Um, the the foam flower in places is doing really well. In other places, it's not. And that's how it is for me. Yeah. And um, But then, uh, yeah, so that's it's looking a lot better. It looks a lot cleaner. It's just um, all around. It's it's a more pleasing aesthetic because uh, that's that was what I was struggling with is that balance between the curb appeal. So are my neighbors think do they think I'm a lunatic because of what I have going on here? Or uh, I will I'm really want to sell this to people who are driving by and walking by and and coming up to our porch and so they say, wow, this is really nice. Yeah. Not just I was all in with the ecological function of it. I was I needed to make it so that it had that balance. Yeah. So people would say I could spread the message and say, "Hey, you can get this stuff too, um, and you can do this at home, and you're helping the environment by doing it." Yeah. And uh, so that's where I was struggling. And then awesome. in the back uh, around our pool last year, we planted some uh, a couple red buds, some winterberry holly, and then um, uh, cranberry viburnum. Okay. And the cranberry viburnums. There was just a, a heat wave, and they, they got burnt last year. <laughs> they were really burnt bad. But I I trimmed them back, and they're they're the, really nice now. They they actually rebounded really well. The, the so, deer won't allow mine. Yeah. To to get any taller than they are. Well, I have a big fence, so yeah. they can't. <laughs> even though the back gate's open, uh, they can't get in. Or they, they don't get in. Yeah, that and like I said, they're they're enjoying. They take the same path every night, mm-hmm. and along that path is they're they're. They're they're doing my cranberry viburnum and oak leaf hydrangea, yep. and they're not decimating it. They're just taking off enough that it's not accelerating. So it's yeah. it's a little sad, but but uh, yeah, no. Then um, I picked up some uh, what's it creeping flocks, mm-hmm. the the native creeping flocks yeah. from from Daryl Kabeski yeah. and Carrie from a Sunset Farmstead, um, and put some of them in just for for next year, really. Awesome at this point, and uh, yeah the. Some there's some Asclepius that's coming up. There's some um, the Baptizia is starting to emerge, uh, awesome. or it, ha- it has been emerging. I'm it's not that big, but I'm hope it's I should be getting flowers this year. It's what two to three years, I think. So for, and then um, I'm trying to think what else I noticed the other day. Like I said, when I I pulled a lot of that stuff out, I, there's some things I wanted to leave that I don't know if I left. <laughs> it's like yeah, there's some gotcha. some Liatris uh, spicata that was in there. That uh, that I when I was looking briefly the other day, I'm like, ah, I don't see where that is. But if I need more, I can get more. It's, yeah. it's not the end of the world. <laughs> That's, so, true. That's so, true. But yeah, it's uh, like the big the big thing this year is just hey, it's got to look maintained. And then go, going forward in the future, the idea is uh, it might be this fall, but it's probably going to be next fall. 
is um, we have a river birch and then a red oak in our front yard. One that kind of are along our driveway. The ones by the front of the driveway, the ones more closer to the house. Um, but they're if you drew a line between the two, it's parallel to the driveway. And one of my ideas was one, I want to make little shade beds around each one uh, first, and probably do use more foam flower and that kind of stuff to form that green mulch layer around the base. And then uh, eventually I want to connect them. And it's just, what do I put in between? And I was like, oh, do I try mountain laurels? Or or we have some, um, my dad grew some rhododendron maximum. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, I could throw them in there and just kind of make it, that'll line the one side of the driveway. And I don't know. It's uh, And then have the, the green, like that green mulch yeah. layer, whether it's carrots or, or I don't know what it'll be beneath it. But uh, just That's to exciting. convert a little bit more grass into native habitat, but still have that aesthetic yeah. where it's uh, it, it works. Well, maybe uh, maybe we can each take a, a photo of our property and make a Facebook page post and everyone can yeah. share kind of what's going on in there. Yeah, their that would be great because that's what I want to see what other people are yeah. doing, too, because that's where we get so much inspiration. Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll I'll take a picture yeah. uh, one of the spots and. It's still young, but I'll yeah. take a picture. I hope no one makes fun of my non-native azaleas. <laughs> I have too. That was uh, there was the place I was buying the azaleas from. Said, "Oh well, we only have this many uh, native azaleas left, so can we add on these instead?" And I'm like, uh, "Yeah, I just need something at this point, so I'll I, take them." And I mean, they look awesome. But I, I will say this: one of the things I didn't mention the for us uh, swamp milkweed. There's two plants. Mm-hmm. And last year they each had two stalks. Yeah. This year they're like six to ten stalks. Nice. They're going to be right. like nice big, like fat plants this and year. So I'm really excited. People in New that. Jersey have been seeing monarchs already. I haven't seen any, and I, I looked at a bunch any. of the common milkweed when I was walking around this morning um, out in a far, on the edge of a farm field, and there was no no eggs on those yet. But uh, there's someone got plants from us. I don't know how they got plants from plants from us or what organization they're yeah. through, but they had a they had took a picture of a flat. I saw it on Facebook in a gardening group and they had a, one of our flats and they had a picture of a monarch on it. And then they had a picture the next day and there's eggs all over oh, wow. the, the swamp milkweed in that, the, that, the that's flat. Awesome. That's I'm awesome. like, that's pretty cool, but that hasn't happened here. No, so no. so let, I'm just looking at time. We should probably hit, yeah. take it or leave it. Uh, yep, so we don't go too, too long. It's always amazing. Even with shorter topics that we, we we've been very philosophical. We have been. Uh, the last two episodes, <laughs> which is if people like that, write in and let us know you like us. Um, you like to hear what's on our minds and how we feel about some of these things, not just the topics. If yeah. you don't like it, also let us know. Yeah, Cause then let us know. We'll, we'll, we'll stop doing probably it. do a lot less of it. Yeah. I won't. Yeah. We won't stop doing it, but we'll do it less of it. We'll, we'll cut it back. But so I thought take it or leave it here in New Jersey, the plastic ban, uh, plastic bag ban started on May 4th. So there's no, no longer any plastic bags. Mm-hmm. I think only some circumstances are allowed to have plastic bags. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've noticed that some places still have, in certain instances, paper bags, mm-hmm. um, and some don't. But what are your thoughts on paper bags versus uh, cloth bags? Um, I'm torn. I, it's one of the things I'm I'm really torn about because when you really dive into the the sustainability I guess yeah. aspect of all the options, um, the paper really isn't that much better than the plastic in, yeah. by some accounts. I don't I'm not saying it's the end all be all, but some of the things I've seen or read, uh, they're they're really not that great as well. Now that being said, it's a renewable resource. Yeah. 
And um, and if you, there's more and more places that are that are using, I guess, um, their paper tree farms to create habitat as well. Not it's not definitely not the majority, but there's some places that are doing that where they're they aren't just saying they aren't just lining out trees and then harvesting trees and it's a very transactional process they're trying to make it into some habitat as well and harvest a little more selectively um so it's it's helping it's one the dollars are staying in the u.s and then it's helping you at least have trees it's Well, well here's my my thought now that they're legalizing marijuana in so many states what about hemp as an alternative? And, and we mentioned that hemp mm-hmm. going back uh, was a. If you had a farm, you had to to farm so many acres of hemp. Mm-hmm. And that William Randolph Hearst, who had so much invested with the paper and and paper yeah. industry, kind of worked to get that banned back in the mm-hmm. the early. I think it was nineteen twenties. But yep. I wonder if that could make a comeback as a better alternative for. But then you're you're really industries fighting each other over. Oh yeah, and and this is. I, we talk about Kyle Lyberg a lot. I have so much. Uh, I give him so much props because he's he really He'll have that fight. He really lives his message. He's like, yeah, he's on TikTok saying all this stuff, but he's also in the comment section fighting these battles. And yes, there's, yeah. it was funny. We were talking about um, what actually captures the most carbon, and so uh, one of the things was uh, someone googled what tree captures the most carbon, and like I guess one of the answers it was on Cure. Is he a Cure Core? Uh, some one of the answers is like, oh, there isn't a single tree that can hold a candle to hemp or, or bamboo. But he goes in all this stuff. He's like, oh, yeah, hemp, okay. But you're you're advocating to get rid of one non-native monoculture for another non-native monoculture. Yeah, that's true. So it's uh, that's very that's true. the battle. Yeah. And that's he, he, he promotes the, the timber industry because yeah. he's like, if they're doing it the right way, you have American jobs – you're growing trees. You're creating some kind of habitat, even if it's not the best and, habitat. And, and I'm drawing it's, a blank on her name from the Xerxes Society from uh, B. Oh yeah, B City. B City. Um, um, whose background was family had a, yeah, a, yep. a timber company in the Northwest that was doing it sustainably. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. and there are right ways to do it. You can't villi- vilify everyone because yeah. there is definitely a right way to to do it. Mm-hmm. But uh, if I. To be honest, when it comes to me and shopping, is I I tend to go shark mode and just <laughs> I don't I don't use a bag or, or I don't even I'm, use a cart. I just kind of grab I everything do. I need, and if it doesn't fit in my arms, I don't need it. I'm not buying. It. Listen, I'm <laughs> the same way. I have one double bag yeah. in my trunk that if I know I'm getting like a decent amount of things, I'll bring that bag in. But for the most part, I don't use. Mm-hmm. I haven't used a bag in a while. Yeah, you know, if I can carry it around the store, yeah. I can carry it to my car. Yep, you know, it's not yep. a big. Big deal. And yeah, I, I tend to shop more that way. I don't do that big month long shopping. Now that being said, my my wife does is pro- our primary. I'm not the one grocery yeah. shopping and getting getting the whole list of things. She's the one who's doing this. Is who what she affects it. But she's been using the the um, reusable plastic bags yeah. already, and uh, we have a whole bunch of those. I'm probably making multiple trips a week, which maybe is work. Maybe I'm. Yeah, because now you're driving there. Driving there. I try to do it on the way home for a place that I pass. But if Mm -hmm. I'm making special trips, which is better? I I don't know. What's what's the bigger poison there? Thoughts. That's (laughs) there's (laughs) like we've said a bunch of times on this episode. There's no one size fits all. No, we like to make it easy and package it into and say. And I think 
honestly, I think this is probably the right move because it's going to make us find the right solution. Listen, and, and but one conversation I always go back to when we talk about choices is uh, Benjamin Vote, and he was like, "Listen, I know how passionate I am about this message, but I still have an air conditioner. Yeah. I still drive a car that mm-hmm. takes gasoline. Like I'm still making choices, but you need to know that." There's a consequences for your choices, and what are some of the better choices yeah. you can make? Like, what are some of, you know, it, at least have that conversation with yourself. I got this book right here. This book called Plastic uh, by Susan Frankel. Okay, and uh, no, I remember when I read it the first time, um, it was saying how they're trying to find when it was published. It's, it's probably well, 2011. So yeah, so it's over 10 years old. At that point, when she was researching and wrote this book, they were producing three times the weight of the world's human population in those single-use plastic bags every year. Which is crazy. And you think, I don't even know what the weight would be. <laughs> but that's, that's a lot of that's freaking a lot, bags. That's a lot of plastic. And, and that ends up in landfills. I or... always hate? Because I've been going plastic bagless. Like yeah. if I go to Wawa, I go to a convenience store. And it's like I'm getting one thing. Don't I don't need a bag. I'm getting a gallon of milk. I don't need a bag. Just it's got a handle already. Just give me the gallon of milk. I'll walk right out of it, out of here. So many times the person would start of start to have put it in a plastic yeah. bag, and then, like when I said I didn't want the bag, they take it out and throw the bag away. And I'm like, well, are you that Why? dense? Well, you, you can give it to the next person. And it's, in instances where we did get a plastic bag, we would use it as a trash bag at home too. Yeah. We would at least oh, yeah. try to like get a second use out mm-hmm. of it so it wasn't just trash bag. You fire. know what I do a lot is um, with the Pylons Direct shipments, if it, if I'm shipping a pot, is I'll wrap the pot in a plastic – like I'll use one of those plastic yeah. bags um, and just basically just wrap the pot in it. So that if any of the soil happens to fall out, it's not just loose in the box. Yeah. It kind of keeps it contained, and I try and keep it pretty tight on there. So I'm reusing them that way. Which is uh, good. Which I'm wondering. I was wondering when I did it the other day. I'm like, am I exempt from this ban because I'm reusing bags? I'm not purchasing new bags. I'm like reusing Ooh, I, bags. I have no idea. Or am I am I breaking the law? Am I a criminal? <laughs> <laughs> but no, awesome, awesome thoughts. Yeah, awesome so, thoughts. I think I have to think about again. But yeah. uh, and we okay. definitely went longer than we intended. But yeah, it's not always probably, a bad thing. No, yeah, we should so, probably wrap it up. All right, but that will wrap it up. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Buzz. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pylons Nursery. Uh, thank you, RJ Comer, for our Buzz theme music. Uh, RJ has a new album out. Make sure you uh, stream it or buy it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume your music. Follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery or Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet, and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Uh, give us a call on the question and comment line. It's been a little quiet recently. The number there is 215-346-6189. I will repeat that. 215-346-6189. Ask a question or leave a comment, and we will answer it on a future episode of The Buzz. And uh, we're going to post uh, pictures of our gardens on the the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. And we've had a bunch of new members there this week, so keep the conversation going over there. Yeah. Um, you can buy Native Plants Healthy Planet merch on our website, www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. Um, again, we don't take a dime from it. It all goes to some of the, the nonprofits of our choosing uh, right here, That some of them which we have on the podcast, some of which we haven't. Um, but the folks that we think we deem worthy of, of uh, the money because they think they're doing really good hands-on work um, – so you can also listen to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast at that same website, www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com, or you can listen to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, really wherever you consume your podcasts. 
uh, your your media of choice. When you're there, uh, if you can help spread the message, uh, leave a review, uh, a five star view, hopefully. And uh, if you do a little write up, I'll give you a shout out right here on the buzz. And um, and then the biggest thing I think you could do to really help us out and help spread this message is is if you have an episode that you really like, maybe you really like that last episode about. Uh, with Oliver Millman about his book, The Insect Crisis, or maybe you really liked uh, the the episode about bees and trees with Cass Urban Mead from the Xerxes Society. Share that episode with someone, a friend of yours or family member, someone you think you could make an impact on. And uh, and when you're sharing that message, just take their phone and you can hit subscribe on their phone <laughs> and, and give us a five-star view while you're typing it in so they can find it as well. So, But uh, that we just want to promote the message of native plants and how important totally. they are and, uh, and keep this audience and... Uh, and the people who are passionate about native plants growing. True, so, true. Um, I had the secret from last time in here. Oh, we got a, we had oh, the winner. That's I, right. Hey, I have a question. I was yeah. just looking. Does it have to be a five-star review? Well, I think that was what we said the rule uh, was. But if we want to bend the rule, that's okay. Because it's the person. You know, I I think I know who you're going to pick, and yeah. I would I support that. You pick. support that. So yeah. I was thinking Jenny Squirrel for her four-star review. Since it's it's the we did award it to someone for a five-star review, and they didn't respond. And I was looking. They had just left that review at the end of September, so it wasn't that long ago. Mm-hmm. They said they've been a listener since the beginning. But, you know, just because I appreciate that review because it was a very positive yeah. review and very constructive, and, and we took that to heart. So um, not everyone has done that, and I I appreciate that feedback. So if you're good with giving it to Jenny Squirrel. Yeah, I think that's perfect. All right, so Jennifer uh, – we know who you are, but we need your address. So if you can, uh, if you can, I, I believe we follow each other on Twitter. You can message me there, or if you can instant message us on uh, mm-hmm. Facebook, uh, we'll get you a Pineland's Nursery Yeti. Yeah, yep. so, awesome. And then my secret last time was the the baby birds that yes. the baby robins that were. Oh, how are they doing? They've left the nest. Wow, they grow up so wow. fast. It's wow. it's really <laughs> it is amazing how fast they grew up and they were just gone. It's, wow, they, the the last one. My wife opened the door to show our son, and uh, and he f- like kind of jumped out of the nest on the ground, pooped on our floor, <laughs> foyer floor, and then flew away. <laughs> and I was like, "Well, that was nice. That was a nice, a nice little send off. <laughs> Gave so. left you something to remember yeah. him by." So, well, that is it. Thanks, everyone. I'm Tom, and I am Fran. Thank you again, everyone. Uh, coming up next week, we have. Uh, the organization Children in Nature, and we're very excited about that one. So make sure you tune in, and we'll see you again next time. Until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.